0: Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio AM740.
1: And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come warm yourself by the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Happy Thanksgiving to all of my Canadian listeners. If you had a small gathering t- today, or maybe you're having your turkey tomorrow, uh, not sure about elsewhere in the country, but here in Ontario, we are being uh, discouraged from gathering with friends or family outside of our immediate household, although the limit, I believe, remains at 10 people indoors. Uh, we're being discouraged from leaving the house except to work, to take our children to school. Uh, nevertheless, I hope you had a, a blessed Thanksgiving. Carlos Cagina is the technical producer, and Ryan White is the live stream producer, and we are live streaming tonight on my YouTube channel, Strange Planet. If you haven't already done so, please make sure to hit that sub button. The FBI's... Phony investigation and attempted coup of President Trump, uh, Trump, Trump. President Trump. Too much turkey tonight, folks, Uh, for the full two hours. Uh, This from the uh, New York Post. Connecticut U.S. Attorney John Durham is not expected to release the findings of his review of the FBI's Russia probe until after the November 3rd election, which is, of course, a bitter disappointment to Republicans who believe um revelations in a report would galvanize support for President Trump. Attorney General William Barr has communicated the news to Republicans on Capitol Hill, dashing hopes of a bombshell report that would validate Trump's contention he was smeared as a Russian colluder by dirty cops and powerful Democrats, a Trump administration a source told the post. That if there's a chance people can be prosecuted, we can't put out a report before that happens, end quote. The administration source said there remains the possibility of uh, additional indictments. In August, Durham announced former FBI lawyer Kevin Kleinsmith would plead guilty to falsifying records to the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court. Trump said Friday he's very upset about the delay. He says, I think it's a disgrace. It's an embarrassment. Uh, that was uh, told to radio host Rush Limbaugh. And then there is this development, the latest declassification from director of national intelligence, John Ratcliffe, that the CIA alerted the FBI in September 2016 that there was intelligence showing the Russians believed Hillary Clinton was, quote, stirring up, end quote, a false collusion narrative to vilify donald trump between july 2016 and may 2017 the cia repeatedly warned the fbi that the russian that the russia collusion narrative spun by christopher steele's dossier was a combination of political dirty trick uh, by team clinton and targeted russian disinformation in rapid succession The CIA alerted the Crossfire Hurricane team that Russia knew by July 2016 that Clinton had a research operation led by Steele and by fall 2016 had fed Steele disinformation that Steele's dossier contaminated demonstrably false information, according to declassified footnotes from a Justice Department inspector general's investigation. Likewise, America's premier spy agency also warned America's premier law enforcement agency it was focused on the wrong guy in Trump advisor Carter Page CIA told FBI that Page was a US intelligent asset not a Russian stooge the FBI uh, hid that crucial information that from the FISA court in one instance even falsifying a document and yet. The FBI proceeded to sustain an investigation into Trump-Russia collusion that lacked any evidence to justify its existence. The officials told just the news. In the process, agents secured a a year's worth of surveillance targeting page and the Trump inner circle that yielded no proof of collusion. And we're going to get into both of these developments and much more over the next two hours as we discuss Operation Crossfire Hurricane, the Steele dossier, The phony Russian collusion story that was hammered day in and day out by the mainstream media for nearly four years. The FISA court, which, of course, authorized the spying on members of Trump's uh, campaign team and his transition team. And here to discuss is John O'Connor. John is an experienced trial lawyer practicing law in San Francisco. He's tried cases in state and federal court throughout the country. He served as an assistant U.S. attorney in Northern California representing in the United States in both criminal and civil cases. Among his interesting assignments have been representing Coach Don Nelson in litigation with Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban and representing Mark Felt regarding the revelation of his identity as Deep Throat, the Watergate whistleblower. John is the author of Postgate, How the Washington Post Betrayed Deep Throat, Covered Up Watergate, and began today's partisan advocacy journalism. John O'Connor, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you?
2: Richard, I'm great.
1: Great to have you with us. So I'm calling it a a phony investigation, perhaps even a coup attempt. I think the evidence is certainly now quite clear that it was a phony investigation or unwarranted, to say the least. Um, What what say you? Is that a fair characterization or uh, was the FBI simply, you know, was it a simply an an honest mistake?
2: Well, I think you're even kind to them, uh, Richard, when you say it was unwarranted. Yes, it was unwarranted, but sometimes an unwarranted investigation can be the result of stupidity, of uh, a witness you believe uh, in good faith turns out not to be there. Every prosecutor's had to really evaluate his witnesses, and sometimes you get stuck if you're not vigilant enough. Uh, Part of your job as a lawyer, whether it's civil law or criminal law, is to figure out whether your own witnesses and your own clients are telling the truth, because you really can't put on a good case unless they are, and uh, you're just going to get sideswiped later on. If you care about winning the case. But in this case, if you just care about creating allegations, then perhaps the more falsity the better. And the way I would describe what happened here is uh, – there is no way to look at this, and I think we'll t- talk about this for the next couple hours, is there's no way to look at this and conclude that it was that all this was part of an honest mistake or honest mistakes. First of all, even if you give the FBI every benefit of the doubt, there are so many honest mistakes that it's almost impossible to believe so many. It just doesn't happen like that but there is so much here that speaks of deliberate deliberate uh falsification of a narrative of uh a heinous type here we are right now four years we're we're past four years of the first publication of these scurrilous allegations they're terrible they're really accusing trump of being a traitor really of treason Um, You know, one of our worst enemies, most uh, certainly a geographical uh, geopolitical foe. And he's accused of colluding, of subverting our election procedures. I mean, everything that is being said is horrendous. And yet it is not only untrue, but as we'll discuss tonight, it was made up out of whole cloth. The FBI knew it and was part of actively, actively helped encourage the falsity, hid the truth, which is a type of falsity you can't conceal. That's a type of fraud or falsity. Of course, Hillary Clinton's campaign knew it, too. That's obvious. And what's worse is that both of them together, and I'm going to say this advisedly, the only inference that you can gain from the evidence is that the two of them, the FBI and Hillary, were not only working together, the campaign, and funded by the White House. White House had to approve the funding from the DNC. Uh, but they knowingly and willingly used Russian spies. Think about that. They knowingly and willingly used people that were spies are close to Putin or close to intelligence sources. Uh, And uh, clearly, it had to be disinformation. So let me set the stage for the listeners, the viewers. Uh, Let's think about this. There can be cases in which a foreign government sends you information or you overhear it and uh, you assess that, well, no, it might be true, uh, just because and you might, it might be intentionally given to you by another intelligence agency. Like, for instance, somebody right. might tell me, by the way, Richard Surrett is the biggest drug smuggler between Canada and the United States. That may be true. The intelligence agency may be telling you this because for some reason he wanted us to know. So just because another intelligence agency tells you that or an investigator tells you that doesn't make it false. But let's think about what happened here. And I'll go to the Steele dossier. We have a lot preceding the Steele dossier uh, for the narrative to unfold. But let's go to the Steele dossier and Steele's network. Let's think about this a minute. Who is Christopher Steele? And, of course, for your viewers, Christopher Steele had the dossier upon which the FISA warrants were gained, upon which the Trump campaign was spied on for over a year. Um, And so uh, everything relied on Christopher Steele and his reports. Now, who is Christopher Steele? Well, he's a former British intelligence agent. But one of the things that people haven't talked about is that his main client, he's in the private business like a lot of us are. He's a contractor with a company called Orbis. And his big client for several years, had been a guy named Oleg Deripaska. Oleg Deripaska is the aluminum oligarch of Russia. And Oleg had been trying to get into America for various reasons, I don't know, business reasons, whatever, been trying to smooth himself over and make himself look like the good oligarch, sort of a PR campaign. But everybody would tell you that Oleg Deripaska is very close to the right hand of Vladimir Putin. If Deripaska, there's not an inch between them. In fact, he wouldn't be alive if there was an inch between them. And so whatever he does or says has the approval of Vladimir Putin. Now, Christopher Steele's bread and butter for years has been Oleg Deripaska. He has done, and this is something you don't see printed by our wonderful media, but he'd done something between 100 and 200 Oh, they call them O-Reports because they're from Orbis. But he'd done 100 to 200 reports on the status of Russia and Ukraine matters. And he did this really to help out Deripaska as he was trying to get a visa, get accepted in the United States. Uh, there are other interests they have in uh, uh, Russia had in Ukraine relationships, and who knows what Deripaska had to do with Ukraine. Uh, also, were that called Deripaska and Paul Manafort were very close together and had a lot of Ukrainian dealings. So he reported on Ukraine and Russia, the two big things that were going on in 2016, Ukraine and Russia. So Deripaska is his big client. All right. Uh, Now, not in this case, he wasn't, supposedly, but but he is really Christopher Steele. Christopher Steele's got a hat on that said, my man is a Russian oligarch. Uh, Okay who did Christopher Steele rely on, on his team? One of the things that the FBI touted when they went to the FISA court was that, yes, Christopher Steele was not a witness to these things, but we are satisfied, the FBI is satisfied, that his team of subsources, uh, sources and subsources, that is to say he had one primary subsource, the person that he relied on, that subsource in turn had sources. So you could call them subsubsources. But he, the FBI, in its replete in all the reports, was bragging almost that, uh, gee, we think Steele is reliable. We've dealt with Steele before. Then the question came up, what about the reliability of his subsource network? And Steele doesn't know anything firsthand? And the answer was, gee, these people are all in a position to know. Now, that's an important thing to do. I mean, if you're if you a lawyer and you want to know about a car wreck, you hope that your witness was there to see it. Was he in a position to know and see the car wreck? Sure, that's important. But the second part of it is, is that person in a position to know reliable? And are they playing you? And do they have a reason to falsify Okay, now who were his subsources? If they're in a position to know, let's just think this out. I'm going slow here because I think in today's modern age, we do not take enough time for the jury to just think about facts and their inferences because they speak very loudly here. The subsources for uh, SEAL, the primary subsource was a guy named Igor Danchenko. And Igor Danchenko, I'm not making this up, it's in the FBI's files. When he was around in the United States from 2009 to 2011, the assessment was he was a Russian spy. Now, he left the country, so they quit investigating him. But the assessment was he was probably a spy. But they quit monitoring him because he left the country. So he's the primary subsource for SEAL. Then below him are other people, quote, in a position to know. Even Danchenko did not claim to have you know, first-hand knowledge. But those people were people in the Kremlin, primarily. Now, let's think about this. Let's have your viewers think about this. As I said before, sometimes this this information from another place can be true. Now, in this case, let's think about the information that was provided. The information that was provided through these sources and subsources was that Putin and Trump were conspiring to change the election. Now, let's say if that's true and you're Vladimir Putin, would you want that out? You know, would if if I was conspiring with you to haul drugs across the border, would I want the guy sitting next to me to say that? No. And if you do that in the Kremlin, your life expectancy is about 36 hours. And you ought to check your Cheerios to see if there's Polonium-210 in it, because your face is going to fall off. <laughs> you know? So do you want your face to stay on, or do you want to do what Putin tells you to do? Now in this reporting, uh, which I laughed at when I first saw the Steele dossier, it's like, wait a second, Steele picks up the phone or his primary subsource picks up the phone and calls the Kremlin and says, hey, what's up? Oh, a worldwide conspiracy between the United States and Russia that can affect United States uh, relationships and maybe start a nuclear war. Sure. Yeah, I, I believe that. Now, let's think about that. Would Putin want that out? How long would you last on this earth if you unveiled a conspiracy between Putin and Trump? If you're in a, quote, position to know, as the FBI averse under penalty of perjury to the FISA court, And to Horowitz, the IG that later on did his report in very even, unsensational tones that won't have any of the inferences that I'm going to bring today, but in very even and unsensational tones, he said yes. The FBI said these sources were in a position to know. Well, that means they were down the hall from Putin. That's all. They had to have enough knowledge from Putin to know about this. Now, let's just stop right there. Is it reasonable to believe that? Is it even past the laugh test, the smell test, the name your test? It is so incredible that it's comic book. And uh, now, why would the FBI do this if it was so comic booky? We'll talk about that. But it's only because they wanted that disinformation. And actually, you could say they're working directly with uh, Putin, really. (laughs) I hate to say that, but that's whether they... I'm not saying they talked to Putin, but by willingly taking this story that they know is false, and they're act- actually they're asking these subsources to do it. Uh, now, uh, here's what Steele told Kathleen Kavilek of the State Department. I think it's in late October, maybe it's in November of 2016. He named, Danchenko named, or Steele named Danchenko's key sources below him, and two of them were guys that I call them the Vladislavs, Vladislav Trubnikov and Vladislav Surkov. One of them is, I think, Surkov is like Putin's Rasputin. I mean, he's sitting right next to him. He knows everything. Trubnikov is a former big-time spy. I think he's a foreign ministry guy. And as they say, once you're a spy, you never leave in Russia, you never leave and go off and be a farmer. You're a spy for life. So Prubnikov knows everything. Surkov knows everything. And they're two of his subsources. The third subsource that gives this a little bit of American twist is a guy named Sergei Million, who's a Russian, both a Russian citizen and an American citizen living in the Queens, who claims to know both about the Kremlin, because he's really tied in, he says, to the Kremlin and intelligence people and also to the United States. He's really tied into the Trump campaign, and he describes this relationship where uh, Putin's going to give us emails and uh, dirt on Hillary, and we're going to help him out uh, with Ukraine and our... Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the campaign platform on, on Ukraine and not not give Ukraine a lot of weapons and that kind of thing. So there's going to be this well developed conspiracy of cooperation. So, Sergey Million, that's another one. You know, now again, uh, he has some background in the United States that, with some Russian front agencies that are said to be spy fronts. Uh, there's a thing called Russo Trudnichesko, which recruits. John, I'm dear- just going to.
1: I'm just going to jump in because we've got to step away for a a brief moment, and uh, we'll come back and pick things up on the other side with John O'Connor, the author of Postgate How the Washington Post Betrayed Deep Throat, his client, uh, and uh, covered up Watergate, and began today's partisan advocacy journalism as we unpack the Steele dossier here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett.
0: Don't go away. Big Brother is listening, and so are you. To The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. So, John,
1: uh, I just want to back up because before the Steele dossier really got rolling, uh, uh, there was... A bunch of never Trumpers, Republicans um, at the Washington Beacon. This is in late 2015. Glenn Simpson, they were the ones that originally funded or hired a GPS fusion. And a lot of that uh, sort of Russiagate conspiracy seemed to begin. They were accusing Trump of wanting to build a tower in Moscow before and even during the election uh, campaign. Uh, seeking to involve the president's son, Don Jr., and the the key player in that scheme was a guy by the name of Felix Sater, and he was presented as this this Russian go-between. Um, that is is that sort of where where it sort of begins prior to to Steele uh, or Christopher Steele writing his seventeen reports. Which, which sort of formed the basis of the Steele dossier, with the wanting to build this tower in Moscow?
2: Well, Richard, what I'd say is it appears that way, but it's not really, if I can explain. And you're correct that, uh, that uh, Comey, for example, has always said this whole thing started with the free beacon. And basically there are a lot of never-Trumpers who wanted to get dirt on Trump. And we're trying to stop him, if you recall, that everybody wants to stop Trump. And so that was well-funded. Remember, GPS didn't have anything to do with, I, I don't think Christopher Steele was uh, was uh, working for him at that point. Um, no. But anyway, what he was doing was he was looking for dirt on Trump all over the world. Now, Felix Sater was the go-between on Trump's dealings in Moscow, you know, that looked kind of dirty. But, you know, I mean, anything you do in Moscow looks dirty. I mean, Trump was trying to build a Trump tower there, how much Felix Sater was had to give out. And I think they were going to give a, a large condominium to good old Latimer. If they built it, I don't think Trump wanted that out. I think he had a big floor for Latimer. He so, he had to sort of bribe his way around and that's sort of unseemly, but really the Republicans, of course, when they realized that the Trump train was rolling, they kind of lost interest, didn't lost their funding. So, uh, It it really didn't start that way. And uh, I'll I'll tell you how how I think it did start. Um, It just so happened that GPS was there and GPS. I think Glenn Simpson knew what he could do to get a good job here. Uh, He's married to a woman named Mary Jacoby. Her name is important here. They were both reporters for the Wall Street Journal. And back in, I'm going to say, 2007 2008 they did a lot of reporting for the wall street journal on manafort and his unsavory connections in the ukraine nothing ever came of it they never made a case on manafort i think everybody knew he's probably getting paid a lot but the justice department didn't do anything with it and manafort skated but uh jacoby and simpson when their reporters got on this, so when this Uh, At some point, they get wind of what they need to do to get money. And that's my point here is how this thing started. I do believe that that the free beacon is nothing more than a red herring. It turns out, of course, Simpson is a good guy for foreign reporting and so forth, GPS is. But it's a red herring as to what we've got here. It was very, very important because the beacon didn't do anything with Russian collusion, electoral collusion, that kind of stuff, a conspiracy between Trump and Putin, none of that came up, and uh, all this really intelligent stuff was not involved. So here's how I think it came up. Let me back up. Hillary Clinton has some serious problems starting in the summer of 15. Interestingly, Trump has just gone down the elevator uh, escalator a month or so before, and they have to open up a case because of congressional pressure on whether or not uh, she has compromised her server by having the homebrew server. So that investigation is opened, uh, and uh, Comey's got it. Now, Comey, although he's nominally been calling himself a Republican for a while, he hasn't been for some time, he's very much aligned with the Hillary forces, And he knows that there are two serious criminal investigations coming for Hillary. And Hillary knows that too. Hillary will become president. She thinks if she can get out of these two criminal charges, both related to emails, one is her server. Was she keeping classified information in a grossly negligent way? And and did she do that? She guilty. Secondly, when her emails were subpoenaed by Congress, uh, She decided, or her her underlings decided, they would get rid of 33,000 emails. And um, the question was, did she, and they were destroyed after the subpoena came, and did she uh, order those? And they had some poor guy that they knew had pounded the thing out, done bleach bit on it, and destroyed everything, and they had him dead. And the question was, were you going to go up the chain? Were you going to get him, uh, you know, indict him squeeze him for the next people up the line he had talked to hillary's two lawyers david kendall and Cheryl mills but basically hillary was in big trouble if the law enforcement did their job that a junior guy could do anybody could do this you you indict this guy Cambetta who did the destruction just go up the chain and you you get everybody okay that was a big thing for hillary so the fbi had two cases that could ruin hillary if hillary got through those two cases she would be elected president unless, unless the 33,000 emails that were missing that they'd taken such care to destroy, any of those surfaced. She destroyed them, not because she cared about how big her yoga pants were, but because they likely <laughs> indicted her on many crimes and uh, doing things not only in Benghazi, which is why they originally wanted them, but can you imagine the emails that got her $145 million into the Clinton Foundation, uh, merely for the small little detail of giving Vladimir Putin 20% of the world's uranium supply that he uses as part of his strategy of energy, strategic energy warfare or strategic en- energy foreign policy. Uh, right now, and I'm just going to digress one second, right now there are many uh, nuclear power operators, in the United States, that need to buy their uh, uranium from Vladimir Putin, and he's got such a corner on it, he can underprice everybody else, driving out of business. He's got a monopoly on it now. All right, let's put that aside. Um, the uh, John, just just
1: because we're we're a little short on time here, the the idea here is that that Hillary Clinton needed to stir up this false collusion narrative in to vilify Trump in order to distract from or, or to 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 make the FBI sort of get off her scent and and start investigating Trump. Is that the idea?
2: Yeah, at some point, at some point, it became clear that she defensively should get ready to do that. OK, and that was going to be because she was worried. Here's what she was, she was worried about, the October surprise. She was worried about an email dump and she had to be ready to counter it by saying this is a Russia hit job. Okay so that's where we are with Hillary. I, I think I've finished there. I'm sorry to go on but I wanted your no, no
1: that's okay. to
2: know what I'm talking about. Okay so the next player in this drama and we've got two of them now we've got Steele we've got Hillary where he she is. The third player is the referee the decider our justice department who's handling this these two investigations and will ultimately handle the defensive investigation called Rush, we call Russiagate, the Russian collusion investigation, and that's James Comey. Now, James Comey, in the summer of uh, 2015, now sees what's up. He knows that if he can get Hillary out of these jams, he and the guys who do it with him are golden. They're going to get be high-flying for the rest of their lives. They're going to be get, getting juicy assignments when they go into private business. They'll be getting Multi-million-dollar intelligence contracts and all that stuff—the largesse that these intelligence agencies pay out to their to their people, the retired people, and so forth. Uh, Comey knew the system. He also knew that he was going to be a great hero, and he had his eye as well on higher office. Uh, he's a very egotistical guy. He's talked to people that I know about running for higher office. He's always been of that ilk. And was very much a pro- Obama anti-trump guy. He was disgusted by Trump. His girls and his wife were so ardent pro Hillary people. it's ridiculous.
1: So what did he so in do? other words, his t- his task we're, we're heading into a break here, but his task, uh, uh, at least to his underlings was to carry water for Hillary. So they were to, I guess go through the motions of uh, investigating her, private server situation. They didn't take notes during the inv- investigation. They basically whitewashed that investigation. She gets off and then they're supposed to devise this quote, unquote insurance policy uh, that we, we uh, heard about between Peter Strzok and Lisa page, uh, which is the, the Russian collusion narrative. Right. We'll, and there are will pick the that. Okay. That. We'll, We'll pick that up on on the other...
2: Great, let's pick it up, yeah.
1: Absolutely, and also, uh, this is now, it seems, uh, because of a declassification from... John Ratcliffe at the uh, Department or the uh, Director of National Intelligence that the CIA alerted the FBI that Hillary was doing exactly this. Back in September of 2016, we'll pick it up with John O'Connor, the author of Postgate, right here on the Conspiracy
0: Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. PIN numbers, passcodes, social insurance numbers. If they make you wonder how private they are, here's two more numbers. 416-360-0740. Or toll free at 1-866-740-4740.
1: John O'Connor is with us. We're unpacking the Russiagate hoax, the Steele dossier, uh, the FBI's phony investigation, unwarranted, however you want to look at it. and uh, we will keep John uh, over into the next hour, and we will take phone calls, also questions from our YouTube live chat uh, after the uh, the top of the hour. So if you call in now, uh, we're not going to get to you until, as I say, the second hour. So just keep your powder dry, have a listen to uh, more of what John has to say, and then... We will get to your calls and also questions from the, uh, the YouTube live chat. Now, we were talking or I was mentioning the, um, the uh, declassification from the director of national intelligence, John Ratcliffe, that the CIA alerted the FBI back in September of 2016 that there was intelligence showing the Russians believed Hillary Clinton was stirring up a false collusion narrative to vilify Donald Trump. Uh, first of all, what do you make that uh, of that? Is that more Russian disinformation or is that uh, just, you know, dirty tricks by Hillary?
2: Well, first of all, we know it's true. Uh, secondly, the CIA vetted that quite, quite thoroughly. And they briefed President Obama on it, as well as Comey, I might add, and as well gave a criminal referral to the FBI on this on September 7th. So they had already vetted it and thought it was legit. Because remember, if it's a good source they've got, they know what's coming out of Russia. If they have a good source, it's not like, you know, this is the second thing. The reason the FBI didn't do anything about it, stroke, Peter Stroke, the assistant to Comey and McCabe, the three of them decided not to investigate on this. Why? Because this referral just told them what they already knew. They were already part of that very... um, Conspiracy that was going on. They were part and parcel of it. So it's a very inconvenient thing because there it is on paper. And Comey and McCabe had made a big effort not to have anything on paper that would get to them. So if you gave information to Comey, you always did it orally. McCabe tried to do that, although he couldn't escape like Comey could. But now you have something coming in documenting this, and at least until recently, it was all classified, and nobody knew about it. But the fact that they didn't do anything about it is because they knew they already knew about it—they were part of it—and that's part of my statement to you today: that they knew very well that they were part of it and had been part of it long before this thing came about. So that's where we are. Um, you had. Deb, uh, so what, what, what I would say here, Richard, is, uh, we have a situation in which, uh, okay, we, we've talked about what the needs of, of, Hillary. Now let's talk about James Comey, what he does. Late 2015 and early 2016, he needs complete, uh, loyalty of a den of thieves. He needs people that will do this conspiracy that I'm going to talk about and that will not yap, and will go along with it and cover each other. Uh, it's very hard in the FBI to get a, a cabal of dishonest people because they're so honest. The FBI works so that the parts are interchangeable. You walk into an office and you can expect everybody that you're now with in Kansas City is going to be honest this day as long. That's the way these guys are. But... Homie went out of his way to get rid of people in headquarters, number one. He retired two guys. He reassigned a couple of guys. He brought in McCabe, and he had rapid ascent from the field office where he was a high guy, but to headquarters, he was the number three, and then quickly became number two. And people were stunned at how quickly McCabe got to up there. He retired a couple of guys, which you can do. You can push guys into retirement. But the point is. He got people in there that were answerable to him. The investigations were very closely held. Now, here's another thing. They were, head, they were done out of headquarters, even in Watergate. Although Mark Felt was at headquarters and his top guys were at headquarters and they oversaw the investigation, it was run out of the field office. Uh, the field office is where the normal agents are, and they spread out and they do all this stuff. Comey made this an unusual investigation. He put everything into headquarters. That's number one. Number two, you would think an investigation of Hillary would be a public integrity investigation. It wasn't. It was made into a uh, counterintelligence investigation. So he got his counterintelligence people. It allowed him to keep things secret and to claim that there's all kinds of confidential information that couldn't be uh, dealt with. We haven't seen a lot of it to this day, frankly. And because it's all undercover, Uh, but and just like Ratcliffe, just, you know, declassified that. But it's highly unusual that both investigations, both Hillary's email, they call it midyear exam or email investigation. And the Russian counterintelligence investigation, as well as the third one, which is this destroyed, which isn't strictly about Hillary. It's about her underlings that may lead to her destroying the, the server. All those were handled in this closely held way by just a few people. Comey, McCabe, Peter Stroke was um, elevated, and then they did something unusual. They took somebody from the—and this is a little bit in the weeds— he took somebody from the general counsel's office, which normally is in a separate office overseeing them, or legally, took Lisa Page, who's Stroke's lover, and they assigned Lisa Page to Andrew McCabe. Now, I don't know if they knew they were lovers, but they're very tight, so you had Stroke. Lisa, uh, Lisa Page was right there with McCabe and did his bidding. So he's on top of the general counsel. He's ordering her around. You have Comey, McCabe. So you have this whole thing locked up with a few people that will do their bidding. Then they got a couple other people that they handpicked for the home office to be the regular investigative or case agents. So in this tight little group, now, if they wanted somebody to go do an errand out, outside, they had a 15-man team that was kind of regular guys, regular SMOs, But the sensitive stuff was closely held. So that's what he did. And when you look at the Horowitz report of the Steele dossier, you will see that there's a flood of red flags uh, and things they didn't do. They didn't tell the court that they withheld
1: a ton of Okay, I've got to jump in here because we have a, this was a short segment, John we'll uh, we'll pick this up on Okay, we'll pick this up on the other side. John O'Connor, Postgate Deep Throats Lawyer, back with more in a moment on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us.
0: Peering into the shadows where the truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio.
1: So uh, John in in March of 2017, uh, President Trump accused Obama of wiretapping Trump tower phones and, if, and he sent that out on a couple of uh, tweets and he was uh, ridiculed and mocked and and uh, for, for doing that. but uh, and Obama, of course, President Obama said, uh, that neither President Obama or any White House official ever ordered surveillance on any U.S. citizen. I suppose technically that's true, right? They have, they have plausible deniability, but the substance of what Trump was, was alleging is correct. Is that, is that fair to say?
2: Well, yeah. First of all, Trump said they were wiretapping Trump Tower. And that's technically correct because you got the three-jump rule. Once you surveilled Carter Page... You got his emails and his phone calls, and if he called Steve Bannon, you could then uh, surveil Steve Bannon electronically. And if Steve Bannon called Corey Lewandowski, Corey Lewandowski called Trump, you get all those people. And you now, by getting Carter Page, he's just the door opener. Okay, so you're sur- you really are surveilling Trump Tower, even though the uh, the warrant didn't say surveil Trump Tower. It said listen to Carter Page. But then you get three jumps from there. And so essentially you did that. Now, wiretapping is an old phrase It usually means putting something on a phone line. We don't have phone lines anymore. But really, that's what he means, electronic surveillance at Trump Tower. Yes, that was true.
1: Okay, so let's talk a little bit about Carter Page and then we'll get into the FISA courts. And so Carter Page is this low level advisor very early on in the Trump campaign. I don't know that he even met with with trump maybe he was in one meeting at most uh why did the fbi focus on why did they go after carter page
2: well he's the only possible link and that they never did he never did meet trump because he missed that one meeting where george papadopoulos has shown he was out of the country and couldn't make it so he never met trump i don't think he ever talked to him never talked to paul manafort and the steel dossier had him uh contacting Paul Manafort. That those two were the ones who were doing the funneling, and he never had talked to Paul Manafort. Never had an email with him. Uh, but yeah, but the reason they went for Carter Page is because Page had been for years back and forth between Russia, uh, because he was a guy trying to do Russian oil deals. He's a Naval Academy graduate, straight as an arrow, uh, and he, he. But because he had Russian connections, that's why Trump named him as a foreign policy advisor, so he could tell the Washington Post the next day. In typical Trump, kind of ad hoc, let's do something real quick. Okay, I'll name Carter Page to my foreign policy team. Look, he's from Russia, he knows Russian. Okay, I've got a foreign policy advisor. Okay, next question. So really, it was ne- it was all for show. He had really nothing to do with anything. And interestingly, Richard, uh, when the news started coming out, as Brennan and Comey and Steele started leaking things, especially the Yahoo News of Michael Isikoff, uh, Page quickly resigned because he didn't want to distract attention from the campaign. So by the time the FISA warrant was issued, uh, Carter Page had been out of the campaign for a month. Paul Manafort had been sort of pushed away because of the black ledger that the Clinton people got out of the Ukraine embassy. This Anna Chalupa got the black ledger showing he'd been paid. He's out. So, the two people that are supposed to be the spokes of this conspiracy, the funnel, are gone. And the only justification they could give FISA court for why they're doing this at all is because they want to know, gosh, what's Russians up to? We want to know about Russia. We want to know their sources and methods and what they're up to. But Page is out of it. Page has nothing to do it. But he did speak Russian. He'd been to Russia, and he'd been to Russia that summer which gave them the ability to just make out a whole cloth that he met with two guys named Igor Sechin and Igor And A
1: a tenuous link at best.
2: Yeah. And and, and And, they said, real quickly, they said that he had made a deal with them to get a brokerage fee on the sale of 19% of this Russian oil company, Rosneft. And that was sort of the crime that they used to tell the FISA court that this foreign agent was doing.
1: So 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 it's interesting because... So you have Carter Page. I mentioned um, uh, Sater earlier, Felix Sater, who, who also was, was painted as this shadowy Russian go-between like Carter Page. And in both instances, they're both CIA assets. Right, right. So and, we, and s- course, we see them turning course, their and- own people into Russian, uh, Russian agents, even though they're their own assets.
2: Well, right. And uh, Seder didn't have much to do with Russia Gate, but Page certainly did. And they knew that he had been a CIA asset. And the FBI lied to the FISA court about Page. They did not tell the FISA court that Page had been considered an asset of uh, an operational contact of the CIA, is just strictly what he was, and that he was deemed reliable, friendly, cooperative. And they also didn't tell the court that when they used a confidential source to get information from them, a confidential informant that Paige said, I've never met Divyek. And I've never met in sessions. I haven't seen in a few years. I never did any of this. And they never reported that to the FISA court. So the whole thing, uh, sort of is, is a lot of smoke and mirrors, but that's why they used Seder because Seder had been to Moscow <laughs> and page. And those are probably the only two guys that have been near Russia, uh, or who know what Russia was. I mean, it it was a seat-of-the-pants campaign by Trump, and the last thing he needed to do was hang around in Russia.
1: And um, the the FISA court application, which was targeting Carter Page, uh, that was based on, in large measure, the Steele dossier, uh, Mm -hmm. which the CIA had already... Before the FISA warrant, uh, before the FISA court hearings, the CIA had already told the FBI uh, this is all this is all political dirty tricks by Hillary. Uh, and yet that was not included in the FISA footnotes, I'm guessing, in the application that the CIA said this is no good.
2: Well, that's right. And Christopher Steele had already said the Sergey Million I talked about. He'd already uh, he already said uh, that uh Sergi Million was an embellisher and an egotist, and that the FBI had opened up a counterintelligence investigation of Sergei Million as being a, a suspected spy. I didn't mention that earlier. Everybody was a suspected spy. None of that was told to the court, and the court was not told that this was a Hillary campaign deal. McCabe especially fought tooth and nail not to tell anything to the court about the possible political motives, which he knew real well. And let me just say one thing, Richard. Remember that his wife, Jill, Andrew McCabe, his wife, Jill, had gotten $675,000 from Terry McAuliffe, who's Hillary Clinton's twin brother, to run for office in Virginia. She's a physician. But she's tied into the Hillary campaign. And McCabe fought tooth and nail to say that that wasn't a conflict. So he's staying on this thing through the Mueller investigation. And yet here he is tied in with Hillary lock, stock, and barrel. And so we have this tremendous, tremendous bias. They ignore all the contrary indications. They should have told the court. Uh, Horowitz lists seventeen things they didn't tell him. But I would, <laughs> I would say there are a few more. Uh, and uh, and Horowitz down uh, is is very factual about it. But it's it's stunning. It's a stunning uh, indictment of Comey, McCabe, and their team. Unfortunately, Richard. Case agent one, whoever he is, and special supervising special agent, who's Joe kid that's out here in San Francisco, they're probably going to get indicted after the election, whether they're going to get Comey or Stroke or any of those guys, I don't know.
1: Right. Uh, and so far we have one indictment. You're... We have one indictment. That was uh, the FBI lawyer, Klein Smith, who who basically changed the substance of an email uh, indicating uh, that that initially indicated that yes, Carter Page was one of ours. He's a CIA asset. He's friendly to us. Client Smith changed that for the FISA application. Basically, ignored that connection with Carter Page and the CIA. That's the one indictment we've come out with so far.
2: Right, and he said, but he's not a something like, but he wasn't a source. That's how he changed it. So yes, um, and that that was. There at the end, when they finally got to him, uh, when they finally got enough information that Smith couldn't ignore it, the CIA was very frank about what uh, Page had done before. So, yes, um, this thing uh, was really, uh, you know, very dirty. And uh, you, you really can't make it up, Richard.
1: So. We we have about a minute here, but uh, have we heard anything more? Uh, uh, cl- there was a, a plea bargain with Klein Smith. I'm not sure what uh, what he's likely to face in terms of a jail sentence, but do we know whether he is he has uh, 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 turned? Uh, whether he's uh, cooperating? What do we know?
2: Well, he certainly is a guy that I would look to turn, uh, and I would hope that he would. Uh, he would do so now i think what if i were Kleinsmith's lawyer unfortunately and i'll give you the bad news Kleinsmith may be biding his time until he sees who wins the election in which case uh it's going to be like this guy who destroyed the bleach pit uh they're going to let him off with nothing they gave him immunity and they didn't make him go up the line and get hillary up the line and hillary's lawyers the same thing's going to happen with Kleinsmith if trump loses the election they will not make him Roll over on anybody he is a guy that maybe he's already rolled over maybe there's good news there maybe to save his uh, skin he's already given him something I hope that's true
1: okay uh, we've got to, he uh, we've got to run be. here we yeah. yep we're up yep. we're up against the top of the hour we'll uh, we'll yep. continue yep. hour two with John O'Connor unpacking the steel dossier and the Russian hoax back with more of the conspiracy show in a minute stay with us
0: From Toronto, Canada, Earth, the Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio.
1: Thanks for inviting me into your home, long haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well appointed rec room with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Hello to everyone. Tuning in on our flagship station, AM 740, 96.7 FM, Zoomer Radio in Toronto. Hiya to those of you listening in on one of our affiliate stations across North America or the live stream at ZumaRadio.ca uh, or on the Zoomer Radio app or on my YouTube channel, Strange Planet. However and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes and I thank you for your fine company. Happy Thanksgiving. To everyone listening in Canada and to uh, any expats in the U.S. who are celebrating Thanksgiving this weekend, albeit this is a Thanksgiving when many of us are not able to gather around the table with as many family and friends as we'd like for obvious reasons. However, we still have much to be thankful for. Attorney John O'Connor stays with us this hour as we continue to unpack the FBI's phony investigation of President Trump and the attempted coup against The Trump administration and uh, John is the author of Postgate, how the Washington Post betrayed Deep Throat, covered up Watergate and began today's partisan advocacy journalism. And uh, that word partisan, it it would seem to me, maybe I'm being naive, that this should be a nonpartisan issue when you have bad cops in the FBI uh, targeting not only citizens unlawfully, uh, but also trying to subvert the will of the electorate. It, it shouldn't matter who is in the White House. I mean, this should be a nonpartisan issue. We should be we should be disgusted and, and everyone should be terribly upset about this and worried. Uh, and, and, and yet uh, it is. I guess, for obvious reasons, it is a partisan issue. Maybe this, maybe this wouldn't happen with a Democrat in the in the uh, in the Oval Office. I don't know. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Could this happen if there were a Democrat in the White House?
2: Well, it did. Obama was in the White House when this thing started, and that's why. No, but I
1: mean, uh, when they tar- I mean, to target a Democrat in the White House.
2: Oh, uh, it would be less likely. Just because I think, but, but they could do it. I mean, if you got Republicans that were zealots in charge of the FBI, I suppose it could happen. Uh, they tried to do it in Watergate, and that's what Mark Felt did. Mark Felt went to the garage with Woodward, not because he liked Woodward, but he wanted to make sure the FBI was free to do its job. He didn't want to get with Nixon. He actually kind of liked Nixon, but he tried to do his job. The problem today is everything is politicized, everything's partisan. And there are far more Democrats in the civil service than there are Republicans and conservatives. They don't do that. Democrats do. So it's going to be highly unlikely that you're going to ever get a, any kind of a conservative or Republican coup. And I think the philosophy on that side would prevent it. Uh, there are more people on the left that believe in what I will call repressive tolerance or cancel culture or whatever that, the means are uh are justified by the end so you'll find that and in this case what is scary about it richard is that when uh there was a hack on the dnc in april of uh, 2016 all three branches that we're talking about today the fbi hillary and the russians all acted in unison and you can look at all the different things that happened. They were all together in this. This was not Russia kind of coming in unbeknownst and, uh, you know, doing something that Comey didn't know about. No, Comey, uh, was working with Hillary and knew that this was all Russian falsehood that they were getting, uh, for good reason. Now, they did, nobody talked to Vladimir Putin, but they knew who Steele's guys were and they worked with them. And actually, the FBI worked with Steele. They paid Steele. They, I think they worked with Sergei Million. if you can believe some of the evidence of from George Kavadopoulos. So the FBI was in there paying Russians. Uh, Hillary was paying Russians. And they knew it was—everybody knew it was false. And you can show that. Everybody knew it was false. It wasn't just maybe false, like it's unverified, like we think it's true. There's far too much here to show that they knew it was false. Now, the only thing I would say is that— in a civil case, you need to only prove things by preponderance of the evidence. In a criminal case, you need to prove things beyond a reasonable doubt. There will be several people that will be indicted because they can be convicted beyond a reasonable doubt. Everyone else, you can say by a preponderance of evidence, we're in on the conspiracy. Uh, Whether you can get up to the level of reasonable doubt beyond a reasonable doubt proof is something that only Barr and Durham know about the details. But you just pointed something out, Richard. That uh referral from the CIA, uh, September 7th, that talked about this uh, Russian uh, plot with Hillary, that Hillary had a Russian plot, that's something in writing that went to Comey. He, Comey's name is on it, and uh, McCabe also would have gotten that. Also, Comey was briefed, and Brennan's briefing notes show it. So the thing they really wanted to avoid, is something in writing, came in from good old John Brennan, who, as dumb and partisan as he is, is actually honest. I got to say that.
1: So point. that's that could be the smoking gun document then that that ends up with an indictment of Comey.
2: Well, if you're going to indict Comey, that's going to be your main document. Now, Comey <laughs> has testified recently. Gee, he doesn't ring a bell. And he was talking about the memo that <laughs> talked about it was a criminal referral. Think about it. You're the head of the FBI. You have a headquarters investigation. There is a memo from the CIA saying your headquarters investigation is really Russian disinformation, uh, and it's a plot by Hillary, Hillary and Russian disinformation. You think that would ring a bell? (laughs) And they want a criminal investigation. And Crumley says, "Gee, doesn't ring a bell." Now,
1: when does when does when does dirty politics, uh, a dirty political tricks by Hillary Clinton, cross over into? subversion or, I don't know, criminality?
2: Well, what I would say is I'll use my lawyer talk and say by a preponderance of the evidence, not necessarily criminal, by preponderance of the evidence, Hillary was guilty of subverting our system. She knew all this stuff was phony. Now, she's too far away. We don't know what she said or what was briefed, and she talked to her lawyer, so I'm not saying we could prove it in court. But more likely than not, she knew exactly what was going on. But certainly when you get to Comey and McCabe, At least more likely than not, as to those two guys, I'm thinking McCabe maybe a little bit more than more likely. And then you get to the guys, the poor guys below them that they had handpicked that had to carry out the dirty work. The poor guys carrying out the dirty work are going to get indicted. And now they they may turn on Comey and McCabe, but you know you got to go up the line a little bit here. And uh, will Stroke get in? Will Stroke get it? Uh, It depends on what these two guys say that I think are going to be indicted who told them was, it was sort of known that you're supposed to not look, see, no evil, hear, no evil. Gee, I, we think this is just fine and dandy. Let's go get our warrant. So what will happen? I don't know, but really what the public should know is whether or not everybody gets indicted. This whole thing is clearly provable as a conspiracy by the FBI Uh, They were fooling their own Justice Department. That's the Horowitz report says there's some people in the Justice Department that actually put the FISA together. Then the FBI signs off on it. The people in the Justice Department were victims of fraud like anybody else. They were actually acting in good faith. I read the Horowitz report and the FBI just wasn't telling him everything. And they were just covering up. And it's really disgusting when you read it. Disgusting. And Hillary knew about it. The Russians, of course, are laughing. Uh, And for four years, here we are right now, Richard, four years after this began. And it's still lively. And if you still talk to Democrats, they'll still say that uh, uh, Trump colluded with Russians. It's really right,
1: they they were they were actually uh, the other night. I'm not sure if it what? was on CNN. They were suggesting that when President Trump was in Walter Reed Hospital recovering from COVID nineteen, that he was basically surrounded by Russian assets. <laughs> they just I will not that. let it go. I, love it. I no, guess they just... feel at this point they're in for a penny, they're in for a pound.
2: Well, right, and as long as you have credulous uh, viewers listening to things at MSNBC. And, uh, you know, CNN say, I mean, Rachel Maddow said that Putin and Trump were going to cut out the power in North Dakota. Uh, Keith Olbermann said that, uh, you know, Trump was going to allow Russian fighters to was treasonous, was going to allow our army to be taken over by Russia. And if you're credulous, if you believe these people and you trust them, I don't blame the people that trust these guys. They, They think they're the good people and, you know, the terrible conservatives are out there coming up with all this stuff. And it's really terrible because that's the kind of stuff that divides us. And you wonder where the division comes from. And uh, I can get philosophical about it. I don't know if you need that from me tonight. <laughs> so I want to
1: ask you about. Uh, uh, I want to ask. We talked about Carter Page earlier. I want to talk about someone else who was caught up in this web. And that was George Papadopoulos, who was another foreign policy advisor, Uh Talk to me about, for those not aware of of Papadopoulos, who was he and how was he involved in this?
2: Yeah, he's like Carter Page's little brother. Because he had a smattering of knowledge about oil and gas and wanted to develop around Russia, Trump named him, he's a 27-year-old kid from Chicago, nice guy, bright young man, looking to do oil deals like Carter Page. Trump named Carter Page and George Papadopoulos to the uh, campaign just to tell the Post he had two advisors. Now, what that did unwittingly was, right then, uh, Comey was looking for uh, a way to surveil people in Europe because they had no warrant yet. And Lisa Page writes Peter Stroke in December 2015 about how to get what they call an Oconus lure, Outside continental United States, they're hoping to get somebody from Trump's campaign over into the, uh, in Europe. Now, it just so happens so that they can then wiretap, him, because it's okay to wiretap without a warrant in Europe. Now, uh, it turns out Papadopoulos is living in London when he's named foreign policy advisor. He's a 27-year-old kid. Trump has no intention of ever listening to a thing he says. He's a nice guy. And so what happens is immediately the poor guy gets besieged by all these FBI sneaky undercover people that are there trying to plant things in Papadopoulos' mind and so forth and make him the fall guy. So here's this 27-year-old guy. He's in London, and that's when the FBI sends in this guy, Joseph Mifsud, the Maltese professor, who comes in and says he's with Putin's niece, uh, and Putin's niece... uh, actually is one of his students. And Missfoot is actually a Western intelligence guy that teaches security at a, at a conservative university in league with the UK. But he's portrayed by Mueller to this day. If you read the Mueller report, you think he's a Russian spy. Comey's called him a Russian spy. He's not a Russian spy. Everybody knows that he's Western intelligence. They send him into Papadopoulos to tell Papadopoulos, oh, the Russians have emails. And remember me telling you about how all at once everybody decided that this uh, FBI, the uh, Russians, and Hillary would all work together? That's when it happened. So immediately they send in Misfit to say to Papadopoulos, hey, the Russians have emails. Then they send in an Australian guy named Alexander Downer to get that information from Papadopoulos. Oh, yeah, I heard about emails.
1: When you say emails, you mean Russian dirt on Hillary.
2: Right, hacked emails. April 18th, the DNC was hacked. Right. Uh, Hillary knew that, and she saw an opportunity to come up with this Russian explanation. She wasn't so worried about those emails as she was about the real bad emails. The DNC emails were not bad emails for her, but uh, but, but they were hacked. And so she saw this as an opportunity to start her Russian collusion theory in case the really bad emails came out there were the bad hillary server thirty-three thousand hillary server emails that were still under lock and key someplace uh that some foreign government probably has but
1: michael pompeo now says that the state department has them and uh we're we're, i guess we're going to see some of those pretty soon
2: well i hope so i hope we do because they're going to tell us a lot but that's what hillary was worried about is my point and right the dnc was hacked that was the excuse to start this whole thing going
1: and and they even tried a a honeypot attempt uh uh, against papadopoulos with uh, a a young woman named azra turk what were they trying to do there
2: well they were just trying to get him to talk to try to maybe have a couple drinks and she was just a real bombshell uh they sort of tried to do the same thing with putin's niece she was a babe of all babes i mean they say uh Professor Misfit says she was the best-looking girl in his class. They used a the fake name for her so that uh, Papadopoulos couldn't look her up on the Internet and figure out whether she really was Putin's niece or was a student of Misfit, as she was. But So they sent in a number of women. There was another woman from Australia that also approached Papadopoulos. She was not quite as alluring, but she got him to meet with Alexander Downer, so that Downer could then draw out the email uh, discussion from Papadopoulos and then tell our State Department so that we, so the FBI would have an excuse to start Crossfire Hurricane. That's how it started. Misfood to Papadopoulos, Downer from Papadopoulos to the State Department. It was all a setup to get some flimsy pretext, uh, that there were these Russian emails and they started Crossfire Hurricane. Then they bring in Steele to come in with all the Russian stuff, and it was all coordinated. You could not do this without complete coordination between the Russians, uh, Hillary, and the FBI. And you and you had to do that, and they were all operating together. Misfit came from the FBI. Downer came from the FBI, their intelligence. But then Steele's got all his Russian guys. Hillary's got people out there. Sergei Millian is a uh, Russian guy, probably comes from Mum you know, from Steele and his Russians. Then a lot of these guys were hired by the FBI. The FBI hired Steele at some point, well, even while he's hired by Hillary. They're paying him money. Um, uh, later on, it looks like million got paid by the FBI, even though he was suspected to be in a spy, and there was a counterintelligence investigation on him. So the whole thing just doesn't make any sense. It's just a bunch of dirty people getting together to get rid of donald trump and once he wins i think they were really stunned that they didn't get something on him when they wiretapped him i think they thought the wiretap would clearly get some kind of a crime they don't realize that probably none of those guys operate that way they're you know really just basically trying to get by seat of the pants
1: right so i've called it a coup attempt a number of times is that a fair characterization in your mind
2: Oh, absolutely. It was a coup of an electoral candidate. And once the electoral candidate won, it was a coup to get rid of him. It was impeachment from day one. There are a couple of journalism professors that have been quoted as saying to their close colleagues that we're going to Watergate him, uh, once he got elected. And Comey started making book. The first meeting he had with Trump before Trump got sworn in, he immediately went back with his colleagues and put notes together, made recordings of it, and he told them he was making book on Trump. And meanwhile, he doesn't tell Trump that he's wiretapping. Trump is the, the constitutional commander-in-chief who's supposed to know about counterintelligence investigations. They don't tell him about it. His national security advisor, Michael Flynn, is supposed to get this information about counterintelligence information.s He comes into office. He doesn't know about this. Um, they hide it from him, and they're hoping to catch him in a crime. It's terrible.
1: You know, in 63, they uh, they lured Kennedy into Daily Plaza and there was, uh, you know, gunmen all over the place triangulation. It seems like and I know this might rankle some listeners comparing Trump to Kennedy, but I think the situation is similar, except they're much more sophisticated now. They don't need to hire snipers. They've basically taken over. Uh, various branches of the government, uh, weaponized them, and and that's how they get the the job done now.
2: Well, that's why I wrote my book, because Watergate is the first time a president has been outed by this combination of a criminal investigation that, by the way, uh, where all facts did not come out, combined with a press that was really dishonest. And that's why I wrote Postgate, Postgate is a template for the way to get rid of somebody now, and Comey knows it very well. He watergates people, and Trump was going to be watergated, and all he needed—remember, what, what they, did they get Nixon on? Not for the substantive crime, but for a process crime. Comey is the master of the process crime. He got Scooter Libby on a process crime back in 2004. He got Martha Stewart on a process crime— when this thing starts, he gets George Papadopoulos on a process crime. He gets Michael Flynn on a process crime. He was hoping against hope, and he knew he would get one on Trump, because here's a guy that's a blustery guy. He had to go do something, and luckily Trump had about 15 people around him, like guarding a man-to-man defense, trying to keep him from doing something wild, because Comey knew that he would get a process crime on Trump And you can feel the disappointment as you read the Mueller report of these 20 people who are abjectly disappointed that they did not get rid of Trump by um, obstruction of justice. They just couldn't believe that they didn't do it. They almost had him. But as I tell people, if you have good lawyers and you listen to them, you almost obstruct justice every day. You just don't do it. Uh, I'll meet with people every day who will say, gee, Mr. O'Connor, should I tell him about this? I think I'll hide this document. I say, no, you don't hide the document. That'll get you in trouble. You tell him the document, you explain it. Just explain it, tell the truth. Well, did that person try to obstruct justice? No. It's a normal conversation with a lawyer. Uh, Comey was hoping to make that into obstruction of justice, and he was hoping that would happen, and he was hoping maybe sometime Trump would destroy a document or tell somebody to lie. And it never quite got there, and uh, they're disappointed. But that's what Comey was doing. Everything is a process crime. And he scares people. He scares people. All right, I've, people got to, uh, with, yeah.
1: I've got to take a and time out here. We'll, uh, we'll, yeah. we'll come back and, and continue to delve into that. We'll also take questions and comments. The phone lines are open, 416-360-0740 in the Greater Toronto Area. Toll free from just about anywhere, 1-866-740-4740
0: take a look around what do you really see this is where you can tell all about it The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio
1: 416 740 416 740 let us go to the uh, YouTube live chat for, and a question from Cheryl. She asks, I've heard that there are many sealed indictments with regards to this Russia Gate. Can Trump not unseal them or is that up to the DOJ? What's the holdup with Durham? So many balls in the air. John, are there sealed indictments and can Trump unseal them?
2: I wish there were, but I don't think there are. I think uh, there may be indictments that are sort of sealed in their own minds that they think they can come out with something after the election. But it's a very close call now. I think they probably felt that uh, they shouldn't indict now. Uh, and they may not be ready to do all the indictments yet either. But I think they have a good idea, at least just to a couple uh, subjects here that they will indict. But they have it hasn't happened yet.
1: And what about uh, Trump, his ability to order a lot of documents declassified? If he does that, does that undermine – if you make these things public and they're part of an investigation, doesn't that undermine Bill Barr at the DOJ?
2: Well, he has actually declassified a whole bunch of documents. I think he was about a year too late. He just did it the other last week. Uh, besides Radcliffe's one document, the very next day Trump declassified a bunch more. The problem is it's too little too late. Trump is not going to get any bang for his buck before this election. Uh, COVID has probably helped delay this thing. Uh, but it's unfortunate that there haven't been, uh, there hasn't been a conclusion to this investigation yet. Those documents will help. And by the way, they're not going to hurt Barr. Uh, and uh, the defendants would see him anyway if, if they're, if they're indicted and they know they're there. Uh, and the only, um, Thing you have to worry about when you declassify things is will a foreign country learn enough about your sources and methods so that it hurts your intelligence gathering? That's the whole idea. But most of the time, it's illusory that this stuff really is going to hurt you. Uh, you overclassify. Overclassification is done mainly by agencies who are trying to protect their hindquarters and they don't want to be embarrassed, so they overclassify things. So the documents are unclassified. We'll learn about them, and we'll find out all these dirty things after the election. And I hope that we don't see that that uh, you know Trump got railed, railroaded out of office because I think the coup. If I had to predict, I have to put my money on. I think the coup is going to work.
1: You, meaning, meaning, you think that that uh, the Democrats will win the the election?
2: I'm afraid so. And I think it's going to be, in part, a couple points. A couple points is all I need, but a few points here that uh, he got dirtied up by Russian. And then secondly, uh, there's no indictments before the, the election, which should have happened. And, and COVID might have stopped that. So I think those things, unfortunately, may have cost Trump the election, among other things. He had a terrible debate, so forth and so on. But uh, if, if he loses, this may... This may mean that it's a successful coup attempt. I hate to say it.
1: Uh, D Silver in the YouTube live chat uh, asks, will Hillary and Obama ever be indicted? Well, (laughs) I guess that would depend on the outcome of the election. Let's assume Trump wins and Mm -hmm. uh, the DOJ investigation continues and Durham is allowed to do his work. Uh, Will Hillary and Obama ever be indicted or who else might be indicted?
2: Obama's not going to get indicted because most of what he did and saw were within his purview as commander-in-chief, national security. So as long as he doesn't tell anybody to cheat or lie, uh, he's okay. Uh, He knew that Comey probably was going to do some bad things, but Susan Rice probably saved him with that memo she wrote. I think he's not going to get indicted, and I don't think they're going to go back and redo Hillary's case uh, there was some talk that that they had reopened parts of it, but I don't think that they're going to do anything to Hillary either. I think probably the FISA thing is going to be the big deal.
1: All right, Obama um, I look want good on this. Yeah. No, no. I mean, if if nothing else, it will certainly, I suppose, taint his legacy uh, for those that care to read history. Um, right. I want to talk about. When, when continuing along, along in this timeline, when Trump finally fires Comey, uh, was I mean, that was supposedly at the recommendation of Rod Rosenstein. Was Rosenstein setting Trump up for obstruction, possibly?
2: No, but I'll tell you what. Uh, Rosenstein just didn't know whether to spit or go blind when that happened. Um, he had issued a memo justifying the uh, dismissal of Comey. But in Trump's inimitable fashion, he said, oh, no, I didn't do it because of Rosenstein's memo. I did it because I wanted to fire the SOB. And of course, he immediately, by that loose talk and the way he fired Comey, he got himself the Mueller investigation. He should have let Rosenstein's memo speak for itself, put Comey on administrative leave, dangling like anything, and then uh, bring some other people in to put the ax down on Comey, and, and, and Trump's hands were clean. But uh, he didn't do it. No, Rosenstein, here's the problem with Rosenstein. Rosenstein was so timid and such a shrinking violet and a little scared church mouse that he was intimidated terribly by Comey and McCabe, even after Comey was fired. Those guys got him in a room and were just merciless to the guy, and he's not that kind of guy. He's a real weak person. And he authored, he allowed... The Mueller investigation to go forward, even though there was no statutory basis to appoint a special counsel. I'm going to say that again. There was no statutory basis to appoint a special counsel because the statute under which he appointed Mueller, you have to have an ongoing criminal investigation. There was no ongoing criminal investigation at the time. There was only a counterintelligence investigation. And so uh, that's, uh, so it was technically illegal. Now, eventually they started an investigation as to whether Trump's firing of Comey was criminal. But if that was the basis for appointing a special counsel, you only can do it for a criminal case. If that's the basis, then Rosenstein's a witness, McCabe's a witness, Mueller's a witness, and then they're all conflicted out. So what they did is they started an investigation without any basis, uh, statutory basis. Then they opened up the criminal thing on Comey and so forth. But it's uh, uh, that that whole thing was was a mess. And Rosenstein is is not the right guy. Sessions was a weak sister too, and they. Uh, Pummeled him into recusing himself. He never needed to recuse himself, but Comey's people talked him into it. And the that was the my question,
1: session. how they got him to do that. You, you're saying it was just bullying or was there blackmail or did they have something on Sessions? I mean, well, they say Hillary has something did. on
2: everyone. Well, here's what happens. The conflicts people in the Justice Department, before they recommend to Sessions whether he's to be recused, have to ask Comey and McCabe, About the investigation and whether or not what Sessions did or did not amounted to a conflict. Now, you can't recuse Sessions unless it's a criminal investigation, and it wasn't a criminal investigation. But the people from the Justice Department wouldn't know that Comey and McCabe, because most investigations are criminal. This wasn't a criminal investigation. So they bullied him. They also bullied, uh, they also got the Justice Department people to say that. Oh, what Sessions did was really right in the heart of what we were doing. All Sessions did was t- have a passerby conversation with uh, the ambassador Kislyak a couple times. There was no basis for a recusal, even if there were an open criminal investigation. But I think there's a combination of puffing by Comey and McCabe to the conflicts people, and some exaggeration about the case and the non-disclosure to the conflicts, people, that this isn't even a basis for a conflict because it's not a criminal investigation. So the whole thing was a joke. It was led by Comey. Comey orchestrated the whole thing. He got rid of Flynn. He got rid of Sessions. Think about it. He did that. He trapped Flynn, sent McCabe over to trap Flynn. So he gets rid of Flynn, who's one of the guys, by the way, that can blow the whistle on the whole Russiagate thing and everything that's been done. Uh, So they get rid of Flynn, who they were terrified of. They now get rid of Sessions. Rosenstein is really a Democrat that's been hanging around that everybody can push around. So the whole thing. So essentially, was a takeover from day one of Trump's government by the other side. Now you get 20 avid Trump haters that are investigating him for the rest of his presidency. Um, Now, I'm I'm a good friend. I was a good friend of Mueller's. Uh, He's a great guy. Uh, I worked with him. But uh, as we see now, I mean, and he really wasn't running the investigation. He was a figurehead. And he, Bob's a great guy, he's probably. But these other guys ran the investigation, and it's terrible. They're all Trump haters.
1: All right, we, uh, we're going to step away uh, again for another break. I want to come back and talk about uh, General Flynn and what he had on the Obama administration and why they were so terrified of him and why he had to go as part of this FBI-Hillary Clinton orchestrated coup attempt. Back with more of my conversation with John O'Connor, the author of Postgate, How the Washington Post Betrayed Deep Throat covered up Watergate and began today's partisan advocacy journalism. More of The Conspiracy Show in a minute. My name is Richard Sarrett. Stay with us.
0: You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. A quick programming
1: note. Uh, next week on the broadcast, Allie Anderson-Henson and Donna Howell. I'll just hold up that book for our uh, YouTube Uh, Viewers, Encounters, Extraordinary Accounts of Angelic Intervention and What the Bible Actually Says About God's Messengers, Encounters. That's next week on The Conspiracy Show. Hope you'll be along for that. And uh, another quick note, uh, next Friday and Saturday, that's October 16 and 17, I'll be sitting in the air chair up at uh, Coast to Coast AM. Hope you can tune in for that. Go to coasttocoastam.com for more information and to find an affiliate near you where you can listen uh, to this massive uh, late-night, overnight uh, radio program, Coast to Coast AM. Uh, back to the phones. Let's go to uh, Skip in Connecticut. Skip, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. You're on the line with John O'Connor.
3: couple of items. One was just how porous the FBI was with the press. You've got Comey saying he handed off uh, what should have been confidential privilege information to the new york times you've got cnn showing up at roger stone's house just happened to be there then you've got the other thing was this guy seth rich i believe his name was was a a delegate uh that was uh for uh sanders and might have walked out with the files that were given to WikiLeaks. Now, why didn't they investigate his uh, cell phone or his text messages and see if that indeed was the case? And then Joseph Massoud was actually on a panel in Rahad, Saudi Arabia, with a guy that was the former Secretary of Defense as, uh, of the United States as one of the panelists. So how could this guy have disappeared and become such a mystery if he was on a panel like that at well, a
2: let me, Yeah, let me answer it this way. And the reason I wrote my book, Postgate, and uh, you mentioned uh, an, another book there, you, uh, Richard did. The reason I wrote it was apropos of your question, which is why doesn't the press get onto this? In this Russiagate investigation, the press was actually a tool that was used by Comey to set up people. For instance, he used David Ignatius of the Post to set up Flynn, to get Flynn scared that if a true answer to a question, uh, the true answer to a question would have been required uh, a conviction, and it wasn't so. He was using the press at every step of the way, so your uh, question is very astute. Now, as to Joseph Misfood, I think he's around... Um, He's very much worried about, remember this, he holds the keys to the kingdom. I'm not so sure that uh, Trump would do anything to him, but he really holds the keys to how this whole conspiracy started, because he was sent in by the FBI slash UK intelligence, and he has a lot of tales to tell and nobody's been able to get him under subpoena. Uh, Barr went over there and listened to Misfood's deposition when he went to Rome, he and uh, Durham, but they haven't got the body of uh, Misfood, and he probably won't show up. I've been in contact with lawyers, lawyer and so forth. I know what's going on, uh, but he's just not going to show up for a while. You're not going to see Serge Million <laughs> until something happens dramatic. So a lot of these guys are just gone. That's a great question. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Skip. And of course, Seth Rich was uh, supposedly murdered in a botched robbery, although his wallet, credit cards, expensive watch still on his person. Uh, We don't know, uh, as far as I'm aware to this date, what hospital he was taken to. We never received ballistic reports, all very strange, Uh, a quick rush to judgment by the mayor of Washington that it was a botched robbery even before the investigation was uh, concluded. Or in begun actually, um, so that's hanging out there is another uh, mystery. To your mind, does is Seth Rich an important part of this puzzle?
2: Well, he's he's a symptom. I, I think he's uh, uh, intriguing, and what I'd like to do, I, I hunger for more information than like you just gave, Richard, and why there isn't more of an investigation in this thing. It may well be nothing. It may well be there's an explanation for why Rich went, but certainly. There have been some questions raised, and once again, because it's unfavorable to you know certain side of the political spectrum, you're not going to get anything uh, out of it. And you know, that's that's part of the that's a big that's a symptom uh, for what ails us today.
1: Uh, Cheryl in the YouTube live chat asks if Attorney General Barr is part of the deep state.
2: No, he is a. Uh, a curative for the deep state. He's uh, the best man I've seen in this job in since I've been a kid. And I've also studied the past attorneys general. This is the real deal. He's straight as an arrow. He calls him as he sees him. And he's not part of the deep state. Unfortunately, he's trying to fight the deep state to get documents. He's been slow-walked by Christopher Ray. He's been slow-walked by Brennan. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's uh, the COVID did not help. So, but Brent, uh, but uh, Barr is the real deal. That's what I would tell you. There's not going to be anybody you're going to see in that position that's better than Bill Barr.
1: If, if um, we back up a year, let's say, and you mentioned earlier that it, Trump should have declassified a lot of these uh, documents a year ago, what else should he have done? Should he have fired Ray? What What else should Trump have done in order to, I guess? successfully defeat this coup attempt?
2: Well, first of all, he was not experienced enough to realize that you need a guard dog as an attorney general. He can be an ethical guard dog like Bill Barr, but Jeff Sessions is not the guy. And I think it might have been Jared Kushner. I don't know who got rid of Christie, but Christie was a big guy in the transition then all of a sudden somebody put him aside. The speculation is it's Jared Kushner. But if Chris Christie had been the attorney general, history would have been changed. This and, and Christie would have been tough enough to come in and puncture this balloon right away, as Michael Flynn would have, by the way. If Michael Flynn, if they didn't get Flynn, Flynn would have gotten them. He would have not only lost a lot of high-level intelligence jobs in D.C. because he thought they were do-nothing uh, guys who retarded every, all intelligence in the field, but he also would have punctured the Russiagate balloon. Chris Christie would have done that, but he appointed. So Trump's big mistake was not appointing somebody other than Jeff Sessions. And then nobody paid any attention to what Sessions did for his deputy. His deputy is probably more important than the attorney general because the deputy is in charge of criminal prosecutions. So you had two weak sisters in there, one of them a Democrat, and uh, you lost your You lost your ability to control the Justice Department. And he knew going in that this Russia thing was out there. It was bedeviling him. And I just I write it up. I write it off to the fact that Trump is a business guy, doesn't understand this stuff. Okay, Uh, we'll
1: we'll take one final time out. We'll take one final time out, John. I, I do want to circle back to um, uh, Flynn. Thank you for reminding me. We, uh, we'll uh, we'll get to that when we come back. The Conspiracy Show, last call to the phone. Stay with us.
0: The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio.
1: All right, John, just a few minutes here. let's uh, let's talk about General Flynn. You mentioned they they, uh, the uh, the coup plotters, Comey et all, had to get rid of General Flynn because of what he knew about what was going on in the Obama administration. Explain.
2: Well, three things. And very briefly, he knew all about how terrible Obama was geopolitically Iran and Russia. But more to the point of intelligence agencies, He also knew that this whole Russiagate thing, he could look at what was done and pop that balloon right away and know that it was a a deep state coup. He could get them before they got him and Trump. Number three, uh, uh, Flynn had been saying to anybody who would listen that there are too many fat jobs in intelligence in Washington, D.C., and not enough actionable intelligence in the field where you don't wait nine months for an answer. So a lot of people's of cushy jobs and nice houses in Bethesda were on the line. But I think the main problem was going to be this Russia geek thing. All of these people thought that Hillary was going to get elected and, and no one would know they did it. Now she doesn't get elected. Trump's coming in with one guy. Trump doesn't know anything, and he's got Sessions, doesn't know anything, but he's got Flynn. And Flynn, his job, as Susan Rice said on January 5th and January 20th, his job is to know about the Russian investigation. And that was the discussion. We have to tell Flynn and Trump about the Russian investigation. Well, before they decided to tell him, McCabe rushes over there with Joe Pienka, and they get him into a lie. And then Sally Yates rushes over to Trump and says, you got to fire Flynn. And, you know, he's lied to Pence. And now the newspapers are all over it. They get their newspapers who are in their laps. And the newspapers start rattling on about, oh, this must be a collusion deal. Flynn did this, Flynn did that, Flynn lied. So they feel the heat and they get rid of Flynn. I think they feel bad that they, now today, that they got rid of Flynn. But think about this they got rid of their attorney general, the national security advisor. I mean, it's amazing. And then their deputy attorney general, and you get Mueller. So uh, they had to get Flynn and they got him
1: so let's assume that your your scenario is correct and uh this coup will be successful because trump has been sufficiently tainted that he will lose the election although uh the the polling aside i mean just looking at the sentiment that seems to me to be almost unimaginable i could be surprised for example uh biden and harris had a uh, a very important campaign event in arizona either today or yesterday i believe it was their first since the uh convention and uh, no one showed up, no one. However, let's assume that the polls are correct this time where they weren't in 2016. And uh, we have a Biden-Harris administration or should I say a Harris administration. They pack the Supreme Court. They're not telling us, they're not telling anyone. They're refusing to, to reveal whether they will pack the Supreme Court, but it seems likely that they would. Uh, They will end the the filibuster. They will open up the border, uh, tear down the wall. So we're looking at essentially then a one-party system. I can't imagine Democrats or uh, Republicans ever winning the Senate, House, or White House uh, ever again.
2: Uh, That's what we're looking at. And we're also looking at maybe two additional states dc which was never supposed to be a state that's why it was formed but it'll be a state with two senators puerto rico will get two senators uh this whole thing will be a one-party state you already have a one-party media and we're getting very close to a sort of a socialist a soft socialist state if if now if it is a choice election then you can't possibly vote for biden or or, or uh, harris unless you're a far-left progressive if it's a referendum on trump There are enough suburban women who just don't like all this nasty stuff, and they just think their lives will be nice and sweet and calm if Trump, orange man bad is gone, and you don't hear all these people yammering at you on TV. If it's a referendum on Trump, he'll lose. Uh, I hate to say that because I think it's going to be disastrous. I care about Western civilization, and I see it here in the offing. I see our Enlightenment values are threatened. And they will get worse. We will get into a cancel culture, a one note type of um, system. I spent nine years writing this book, uh, and I did it for a purpose because I see our uh, country going down the tubes with bad media. and Now we're going to get a soft socialist government, and I think it's going to be terrible.
1: The other option is that this is a base election. And uh, if you look at Trump's support among Republicans, it's remained pretty high you look at a recent a gallup poll 56 percent of a uh, say respondents said they are better off now than they were four years ago that's the highest rating a president at this stage has ever received in that gallup poll um so let's and if it is a base election I'm wondering whether the the uh, the Bernie Bros as they like to call themselves have been sufficiently disillusioned with Joe Biden after that last debate when Biden was forced to admit he doesn't support the green new deal and um, he he doesn't support defunding the police which I thought was a brilliant tactic by Trump to get him to separate to, to clarify his position and and uh, and, and 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 cause a rift between the radical left of the party and 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 biden what are your thoughts on that
2: well you're right the only way trump's going to win is with turnout and then what i see is, is you've got this mail-in stuff uh where it's not absentee ballot it's mailed to everybody in uh that has a uh, ever registered in the in the polls so i i'm worried about that i hope you're right richard and i think if it is like they say a choice election Uh, Trump's going to win, and hopefully the turnout will be such that uh, Trump will win. uh, And I think people have to start thinking about the alternatives. Do you really want the alternative here? Right now, everybody wants to say, I can't go to a cocktail party where people don't say, oh, gee, Trump this, Trump that, then the other. But I want to say, what's your choice? You know, this is not a referendum. This is a choice. And you've got to make a choice, and you've got to be you know put on your big boy and big girl pants and make a choice and i I, I live around a lot of very nice uh elite people here in California, and uh, I'm in the land of Diane Feinstein and Nancy Pelosi and Gavin News and they're all wonderful people and uh, uh but uh i I think that uh we've really got to think about our society because it's very close to going down the tubes. The wonderful city of San Francisco has has sort of shown its problems. It's going to have serious problems surviving. And we really need to get back on our horse here and start living again. And I think Trump can do that. But, hey, Richard, I hope you're right. And I hope you're watching the polls better than I am. (laughs) How
1: do we get a copy of Postgate?
2: Well, you can go to Amazon.com, of course. And what I would urge your of yours to do is to go to postgatebook.com where uh, I try to show how what I wrote about po- in Postgate is applicable today. You will understand what's happening today if you read Postgate. And then everything flows from that. Everything I said today really can be, comes out of, out of Watergate. That's how it started. That's how the press started doing this stuff combined with uh, other forces. So, we got rid of Nixon and they tried to get rid of Trump and here we are again
1: there's a, a picture very quickly uh, I think we've put it up Ryan if you if you could put it up on the live stream there uh, you posing with uh, Mark felt aka um, uh, deep throat uh, yes the picture is up there now and uh, Woodward and Bernstein Uh when you posed for that picture, did Woodward and Bernstein know that you would be indicting them and, and the Washington Post for their handling of, of, of Watergate?
2: No, and as a matter of fact, I talked about it in the book. I thought that was the that meeting. I thought it was going to be the end. Mark died shortly after. I thought that was the end of my involvement. And I talked about a little sort of odd encounter I had with Woodward. And lo and behold, two years later, I realized the Post had defrauded me. And it's a very intriguing thing for your readers. That's all I'll say. But once they read about that meeting I had with, with the four of us, uh, and what happened after that is a mind-boggler. It's a mind-boggler. Once you get to that part of the book, you'll say, wow, uh, this is real stuff. I talked not only about the journalism of Watergate, but what happened, my interactions with Woodward and the Post. And they're really pretty revealing when you really want to get down to whether or not these guys are the great heroes. Or not. I'm. I was the greatest fan of the two of them. I'm the greatest fan in the world of them, and I lived most of my life that way.
3: <laughs> and
2: uh, it's terrible to see your idols fall, but it's the reality. I thought everything today had been an aberration from Watergate. I now realize that this terrible media was caused by Watergate and the terrible reporting and the dishonest reporting in Watergate. Uh, it, it, John- it pains me to do that.
1: John, thank you so much for hanging out these two hours. I appreciate it. Great talking to you again.
2: Richard, it's great talking to you. you got a great show. Thanks.
1: Thank you. Postgatebook.com. All right, my thanks to Ryan and Carlos. Happy Thanksgiving. Back next week with Angelic Encounters. Good night.